Hi, everybody. Welcome to the 10th installment of Tara and Andrew versus the Scarecrow Video and Movie Guide. The 10th part of our 3,726-part series. I'm Tara. I'm Andrew. This is a podcast where we watch a movie chosen at random from the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide, do a little research, and then let you know what our thoughts are and any interesting information we were able to find. So uh, I've got a couple of rules to get the technical stuff out of the way right up front. First, uh, there are no vetoes. As long as neither of us have seen it, we have got to watch it unless, and this is the second rule, unless the movie is more than four hours long. We also just want to hammer this point home. We're not affiliated with Scarecrow Video in any way. Any of the the hot takes you may hear in this podcast are uh, ours and ours alone. So last time we ended up watching Germany Year Zero. It was a fun romp for the whole family. Yeah. JK! A fun, fun romp with people starving to death in the streets of post-war Berlin. Yeah, a child committing suicide. Right. Uh, spoiler. Spoiler alert there. Whoops. Despite it being massively depressing, I think we both thought it was pretty good. I, I think... You gave it uh, the second highest rating, which yeah, is uh, maybe watch, and I, I said, eh. And I think that is kind of my problem. Like, my instinct is to go lower than I normally would, and then I think about it more. And I'm like, oh, actually, I did like that better than than I thought I did, I guess, in, in retrospect. So any rating that I give, you can actually just bump that up on our scale, I think, and, and be be more in line with what I actually think about the movie. You don't have to feel any peer pressure just because I called it. No, a no, I don't. I don't feel peer pressure. It's just like it <laughs> takes me a while to kind of digest the movie. I think it's like when For we sure. when we went and saw um, the ghost story at Sif. Like I walked out of it, I'm like, oh, I didn't like that very much. And then like the more I thought about it, I'm like, oh wait, yeah, I actually liked it a lot. Yeah, I don't know if I ever told you that I was like silently crying during a scene when we were watching that. Yeah, I mean, just watching the trailer again got me choked up. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an affecting movie. We both liked it. Yeah, I think especially if you've experienced the death of a, a loved one, or I think it'll probably touch on your heartstrings, yeah, as they yeah. say. It's really, it's an interesting movie. I guess this is turning into our uh, seamless transition into talking about other movies <laughs> now. We're getting that out of the way up front, so that's good. Here's the seamless transition. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we blew it. So we're going to get to picking the movie. It's my turn to pick the movie for this episode. But uh, before we do that, because... If our math is right, this episode should be released at the start of October. We're going to mix it up a little bit. Yeah, we have this tradition that we've done like the past few years where we try to watch one horror movie every day in October. So we thought we'd kind of carry that tradition forward to the podcast and limit ourselves to the psychotronic horror, sci-fi, and fantasy chapter of the Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. And yeah, so they don't have a horror-specific chapter, but the the psychotronic chapter kind of covers that ground. We're still going to be picking things at random. We have no idea what we're going to end up with, but it's going to be limited for the next few episodes throughout the, the month of October to that particular chapter. Should we? Let's do it. Close your eyes real tight there. And I'm going to be kind of slowly flipping back and forth, and you will tell me when to stop. All right. This would be so yet. much fun for me Not because ready. it's like Still. 30 pages out of this gigantic book. Yeah, very stimulating. Uh, uh-huh. um, okay, stop. Okay. The Exorcist 3. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, my God. I've heard that this is actually one of the better... Of the sequels? Yeah. 
we've definitely seen The Exorcist. Yeah, of course. M- multiple times. Right. So, so let's go ahead and read what the guide has to say. Oh, so it was actually directed by the author, oh. William Peter Blatty. Directed by Blatty, the man who wrote the story for the first Exorcist film, The Exorcist Three has a compelling story and a great cast. Scott, that being George C. Scott, plays an inspector investigating random and ruthless murders that closely resemble the work of a particular psycho killer who was executed the night of Linda Blair's exorcism. With such a plot, the violence in this film becomes virtually unbridled, making it more like a suspense thriller than a paranormal horror film. But with Blatty's eerie dreamscapes and his surprise plot twists, this film will certainly please and frighten fans of the first movie. Cool. Interesting. So they say of the first movie, not of the second movie. Are there no well, fans of the second movie? I don't know that there are very many fans of the second <laughs> yeah. movie. Right, uh, there's uh, any plot <laughs> continuity. They don't even bother including The Exorcist 2 in the guide. Um, well, they didn't even include the original Exorcist. So we are going to watch The Exorcist 3, and uh, we will be back after this musical interlude to tell you what we thought. Oh, God. Hey everybody, we are back. Uh, we went and got Kara a quick possession. Oh, it's quickly possessed. <laughs> we got her a quick exorcism, is what I meant to say, uh, <laughs> to get rid of that demon that she was possessed by right before we heard that uh, that music from Boat. But uh, oh shit! <laughs> God, get, get that priest back in here. <laughs> so yeah, we just finished watching Exorcist Three, aka Legion. So we should give you guys our pre-spoiler rating. From worst to best, our ratings are. Don't watch, maybe don't watch, eh, maybe watch, and the best possible rating, don't not watch. All right. Do you have a rating in mind? I've got a rating in mind. Do you have one? Yep, I got one. All right. Wait, do I? Okay, yes. One, two, three. Maybe Uh, watch. Plus. I was torn between those two ratings, which is why I was, I don't know. Yeah, no. Uh, Plus. Yeah. Because it's, (laughs) I don't know, it's not it's hard to say. Yeah, I mean... There were some aspects of it I really liked. There was some unsettling imagery. There were some other things that kind of... Left you yeah, feeling cold. A little bit. I, I can see why you would give it an eh rather than a maybe watch. I, I was kind of judging it by third in a series standards. Oh, think. well then, yeah, so, for sure it'd be... I would upgrade it if you're looking at it from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the, like, scenes in the cell went on a little too long. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into talking about the plot, and then we can kind of yeah. hash that out as we go. Yeah. Yeah, so the movie opens up with uh, Lieutenant Kinderman, who was, I guess, briefly in the first Exorcist. and it, In the movie. He was definitely in the book a lot. So it's him and Father Dyer, a priest who knew Father Karras from the first movie. And this is the 15th anniversary of Father Karras's death. Yes. Which I think is important to note. These two seek each other out, I think, on the anniversary every year. Right. And, and they both kind of say, like, oh, the, the other one would be bummed out if I didn't hang out with them. Right. But. So there are these murders that have been taking place that Lieutenant Kinderman is in charge of investigating. And they find out that people are basically getting injected with some drug that paralyzes them and then they're decapitated. There was a boy who was in this police boys club that Kinderman knew. 
who was killed. Ingot was put into each of his eyes. Then his head was taken off and replaced by, I think it was a Jesus statue or some sort of statue. Some religious statue, possibly, of a Jesus. And they had done blackface on it, like from a minstrel show. This boy was black, I should mention. And he was crucified. I think kind of to its credit, the movie doesn't show this. It just more describes it in very grisly detail. And um, so that's something I really appreciate in general in horror movies is when they leave some of the stuff up to your imagination. So then the next murder, we actually see some parts of it, not the actual action, but the stuff leading up to and immediately after. You kind of get the shot of an elderly woman and she goes into this church and is giving confession. And at first it starts off like this woman confessing normal type stuff. And then she starts talking about the first big one was when I had opened this girl's throat. She was 12 years old and all the bleeding. Her voice is getting progressively more and more demonic sounding as she's describing this. So you're like, oh shit, what's going on here? And then it basically cuts to a scene of the confessional booth just covered in blood. Somehow she managed to kill this priest. So Lieutenant Kinderman goes there and he's checking it out and then he meets up with Father Dyer and they're going out for a meal and discussing this and... After seeing It's a Wonderful Life. After seeing It's a Wonderful Life, yes. The the father has some sort of medical condition and he ends up in the hospital. The next day or very shortly after seeing the movie, Dyer's in the hospital and Kinderman shows up to check in on him, see how he's doing, bring him some stuff, like bring him a hamburger or whatever and... And then Kinderman has a dream of, of like, heaven, kind of? Sort of, or maybe purgatory. I couldn't tell. I mean, it seemed more heaven than purgatory, because I think purgatory is supposed to be, like, much more drab and bland. I'm sure. There were a lot of angels. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, so it was kind of... But it was kind of creepy. Yeah, it was definitely creepy. Yeah, so unsettling heaven, which uh, I think the most unsettling part of it was that uh, Fabio was there. Oh, well. <laughs> Fabio and uh, Chihuahua. They're just as like a Chihuahua running through the scene at one point. I'm like, what's that Chihuahua doing here? Yeah, and apparently what? some famous basketball players, which yeah, I wouldn't Patrick have recognized. Ewing, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and uh, Samuel L. Jackson was in there. And a uh, young Angela Bassett. Yeah, so just a cavalcade so. of celebrities. Like, what happened to Fabio? I wanted, I need to know what uh, how he died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that bird that flew into his head, like, just pierced his skull, I guess? Or, uh, you saw that video, right? Of the bird flying into Fabio's uh, face. We'll look at it later. Okay. And so he has this unsettling dream, and I think in the dream he kind of gets this idea that Dyer is... He's going to be the next victim. There was a, another interesting part of the dream where Kinderman kind of asks Dyer in his dream are we having this dream together? Like, are you also having the same dream? And the dire character in the dream's like, no, it's just you. That's not how dreams work, dude. Do you not, how do, <laughs> do you not understand? <laughs> well, especially for someone who is pretty clearly non-religious, over the dinner conversation, they talked about religious things. And essentially, it was pretty clear that Kinderman's not Christian, doesn't believe in God, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Kind of weird for someone who's not religious to, or spiritual or whatever. And so he goes in, goes back to the hospital because he, like, he gets yeah. a phone call telling someone, him that Dyer is dead. He goes into the room and the body is just under a sheet. And you see the, like, on this table next to the bed, there's, like, maybe 20 or 30 jars filled up with something that looks like blood. And as it turns out, it actually is blood. And Father Dyer has been like exsanguinated. Every single drop of his blood removed and very carefully put into all these jars. 
It seems like that was a lot of needless work on whoever killed him's part. I mean, they couldn't just, like, get a big jug or something, like yeah. a big gold cup or something. Like, I mean, 30 different sample jars. The one exception to this is some of his blood was used to write out a message above him, which was the title of the film, It's a Wonderful Life, with an extra L at the end of Wonderful. Kinderman is really visibly shaken up by this whole thing. He essentially says, the, you know, the hospital's on lockdown. Not a single person can come in. Not a single person can leave. There's somebody here. We need to figure this out. And Kinderman reveals that there's this guy, the Gemini killer, who was a real famous serial killer, like 15 years ago, who was executed. But some of the details that were leaked to the press were erroneous details, details that they leaked on purpose to help them cipher through all the, the nut jobs who were calling him like, oh, I'm the Gemini killer. And then they could easily be like, oh, no. So what the real mm-hmm. Gemini killer would do was he would remove the index finger from the right hand. And the Gemini symbol would be carved into the palm of the left hand. And then the other details, when he would write letters, he would add an extra L to the end of one of the words, at least in the note. So those things together fit the death of Dwyer. And then the other two victims that we'd seen earlier in the movie fit this criteria. So Kinderman's like, that's more than just a coincidence something's really seriously screwed up here and and how the hell did this happen when we all saw that this dude was executed so he's talking to the hospital staff and they tell him about this guy that just kind of showed up out of nowhere they had no idea who this guy was he just was kind of wandering the streets couldn't really tell him anything so he was taken in and has been in a cell ever since kinderman talks to this guy dr temple And he tells about this guy who was locked up and he was essentially catatonic until very recently when he started becoming violent and and making claims that he was the Gemini killer. So Kinderman goes in, he talks to the the guy in the cell and pretty quickly becomes apparent that this guy has got massive issues. Well, and then also he looks like Damien Karras. Eventually he does. First he, he looks not super like him and then like after like a minute or two he suddenly all of a sudden looks very much like him for reasons which we'll get into in a minute just like whoa whoa what the hell just happened here yeah that was pretty well done yeah kind of jarring and then it's just like game on with all the demonic stuff from that point on he has a lengthy conversation he talks about basically how he he'd been the gemini killer but he went into karis's body as revenge for regan's exorcism in the first movie well, basically, the, the demon who possessed her, Pazuzu'd pulled in this Gemini killer's spirit with him as revenge. But apparently what was supposed to have happened is the guy who had buried him, the spirits that had taken over Karis's body, managed to kill him and put him in the grave. And okay. he would just had been considered missing. At some point in the movie, they were supposed to have realized, oh my god, here's this priest in the coffin instead. But then I thought there was, a, didn't he say something about how he clawed his way out of that coffin or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. It was, uh, yeah, that, it was, that was kind it was, of muddled, and that's part of some of the issues yeah. that I had with the movie. Some of the plot wasn't very clear, right. or was yeah. it really... Yes, I will agree with you on that. So, there was stuff where I was like, what is... It was kind of hard to follow at times. Yeah. So Okay, good. I'm glad that's not just me. And, like, no, 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 no. Because we should mention that we're recording this, like, September 4th, and it is hot as shit. And also, when we record the podcast, we, like, turn off our fan and close the windows. So, if we, we're just, like dying as we record this basically. it is so hot that's just a little background yeah. information for anyway, <laughs> a little whatever. behind the scenes a little behind the scenes a little, little tidbit <laughs> to find out what our recording process is like we're, we're sweating and very uncomfortable basically yeah 
but yeah, I agree. I, I'm glad that uh, it wasn't just me confused. No, what was and happening. That, yeah, that's really I think the main reason why I was I went with the F rating. Yeah, because even though I, there were a lot of aspects I liked about it, just I thought that that it was it was muddled for sure. Right, the plot should have been a lot clearer. Yeah. So. I mean, some other stuff happens. There's like... We should just mention real quick. Kinderman has a long conversation with Karis. He's got several long conversations yeah, with Karis. That, that slash was... the Gemini killer. Right. I just was more bothered by the fact that Kinderman seemed to take it all in stride. Like, Yeah. Well, I guess like... it wasn't really so much that the that the scenes went on so long. It's just because of his reaction. It was Because yeah. he was so kind of like, oh, whatever. That made the whole thing slightly underwhelming for a horror film. Like, this should be yeah. a really chilling thing. When you're talking to... You just saw a dude's face change. Yeah, you saw a dude's face change. He's possessing the body of someone who you were friends with who supposedly died 15 years ago. And you're just kind of like sitting there like just listening to this dude talk. Like, hmm. hmm oh, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it went on long. And it, it just... If there'd been some sort of visible reaction from Kinderman or it showed that... He was shook he was, or something. Right. Yeah. Like, he was more shaken seeing Dyer's body than he seemed to be shaken by any of the conversations he had with Kara slash Patient X slash... Whatever. Gemini Killer. Yeah. And, and also, like, the Gemini Killer slash Karis slash whatever, uh, his voice is, like, super demonic, like, at several points. Yeah. And he's, like, it almost starts out the conversation with this really guttural, demonic-sounding growl. That should have been enough to set anybody on edge. And yeah. And such like, hmm. I wouldn't be just hanging out in the cell alone. Right. Like, a real creepy cell, by the way. Like, yeah. Like, a dimly lit, awful, depressing cell with a dude who made that noise. Right. I'd be like, uh, okay, well, let's get you behind several layers of glass. And... Yeah. That really irked me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the we'll just call him the Gemini Killer from yeah. here on out. I think it's easier than saying blah, 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 yeah, yeah, slash, yeah. slash, slash. But um, so the Gemini killer, he lets on that he's behind the murders and that he's possessing these people in the hospital. Basically, yeah, these these senile dementia patients, essentially, like catatonic, he's catatonic, and he's like they're really easy to possess. So, it, it explains why, like earlier in the movie, they, they are comparing fingerprints that they found at the murder scenes. Like, oh, these are very similar murders, but they're but they're, the fingerprints are all different. Yes. they don't match any like any of the other murders, and that's how he's killing these people, even though he's like under lock and key. Yeah, the Gemini killer like possesses a nurse and sends her one of the dementia patients, patients in a nurse's outfit. In a nurse's yeah. outfit, okay. and they called the house to say a nurse was coming. Right. Yeah, but it was actually just one of the dementia patients uh, with a big ass like corners set of cutting tools. Yeah, in her like bag. crazy cutting tools. Uh, and so she like lunges at Kinderman's daughter's neck with them, but her grandmother pulls her away at the last minute. So there's this guy, Father Morning, who is like the chaplain the, at the hospital or something or other. It's not really explained, it's not explained very too well. well. And, and reading up on the movie afterwards, it makes sense why. So we'll yeah. touch on that later. So this guy realizes something's up for some reason. And he goes down to the Gemini killer cell and starts performing the exorcism at that point. Right at the same moment when the dementia patient who's who's been possessed, they finally are able to get control over her because back at the hospital the Gemini killer's concentration is broken it's broken this kind of like leads into some of the issues that i had with the movie too the whole exorcism thing yeah father morning's appearance just feels like it's out of nowhere basically pretty much and so he's performing this exorcism and the Gemini killer out of nowhere yeah you're doing his usual routine as you would expect a demon possessing a human to do just like being very resistant to being exorcised and 
then Father Morning gets flung against the ceiling and his skin starts melting into the ceiling and and then it just cuts to Kinderman showing up at the Yeah, so right? Kinderman basically shows up at the hospital and then he goes down to the cell to check out what's going on. First he sees like some blood dripping and then there's a Bible in there and he notices Father Morning in the corner appearing dead and then he gets into this conversation with the gemini killer he's pinned up against a wall and like all this like weird lightning bolts start coming in and like creating this huge hole in the floor and all these victims of the gemini killer start coming out up through the floor but then you realize father morning still has a bit of life left and he's able to start up the exorcism again he makes this appeal to father damien hey you need a help help us get control of this guy So Damien's spirit helps to kind of gain possession of the body again. And he basically tells Kinderman, hey, do it now. Kill me. Shoot me now. Kinderman shoots him a couple times in the chest. And then Kara says, we did it. Go ahead and finish the job. And Kinderman shoots him in the head. And kind of like, that's that. There's then a scene at the cemetery. Showing Kara's being buried again. Yeah, being reburied. And like, that's it. And that's the end. Uh, again, a very abrupt ending. Like, right. I don't know, just like when movies like that end climax, and then and 90 then... seconds later, movie is over. It's like, like, really? That's. I mean, I guess in all fairness, like, where are they going to go from there? You're supposed to have some kind of gradual build down after a climax, yeah. and it, it just doesn't happen. Not like it was just like you went off a cliff. So that, that's basically the, the plot of the movie. Yeah, I mean, talking it through, I can definitely see why you were more like, eh. The original has this reputation it's the scariest movie of all time and yeah. so like it's hard to kind and of it, follow that yeah i mean and the original like, exorcist is a classic so I mean, yeah it, for sure it had a lot to live up to um and then it also had a lot to gain after the <laughs> disastrous sequel right exorcist to the heretic which neither of us have ever seen no and uh probably will probably never, never will based on everything we've heard about it yeah actually i was reading the wikipedia page about it and it sounds pretty bad like they they made that just like as a blatant attempt to cash in like i guess there was some person who was quoted that was involved with the production of the heretic saying yeah we were just gonna you know turn this around really quickly kind of tell a similar story to the first exorcist and then just use a bunch of the unused footage from the first film so that was our plan and uh yeah it did not work out very well i think it was like rated the second worst movie of all time at least briefly um right behind plan nine from outer space like pretty much everybody that saw the exorcist 2 hated it right like uh, i think william peter blatty the author of the yeah uh, the author of the book and then he also wrote and directed Exorcist three so it was just kind of like this whole sort of mess getting this to film like with directors and that sort of thing like he had approached Friedkin who directed the first movie about doing this and telling him the story and then things in their relationship kind of soured and so then Blatty wrote the book the reception of the second one was just so bad that that really put the kibosh on it as well as the problems that there were with William Friedkin. Between him and Blatty. Blatty and some of the other people involved in the movie tried very, very hard to keep this movie from being called The Exorcist 3, specifically to divorce it from any association that could be made with The Exorcist 2. Right. Because it was such a disaster, and I don't think Blatty had really been involved with that at all. No. So he just really wanted it to be called Legion, like the book. And it was really the production studio who insisted on keeping the exorcist name in there. And some of the other things we found out after explaining some of the issues we had, like the whole Father Morning suddenly appearing, 
Yeah. Uh, what I'd read was that the secretary of the yeah. movie production company was like, well, there's no exorcism in this. It's The Exorcist 3 and there's no exorcism in it. There has to be or an exorcism. It's a sequel to The Exorcism and there's no exorcism in it. And the secretary basically Convinced planted them. a seed uh, in the head of the movie studio to insist that there be an exorcism scene in the third one. and like, Yeah, and so they pointed up another $4 million to do this exorcism scene. And and so the reason why it felt kind of tacked on or out of place with the whole Father Morning stuff is because it literally was it, it tacked was. on. Vladdy was really against adding this scene, but he just wanted to help it be as, be. as good as it could be. Right. So he was involved with that. And then there were some other things, too, that I saw about it wasn't really Karis in it when they first filmed the movie. Mm-hmm. So Brad Dorf had reshot all of those scenes a second time. Yeah. Like every like, one of his scenes. When, when they were originally shooting it, it was Brad Dorf who was playing the Karis character. Yeah. And then when they decided that there needed to be an exorcism scene, they got Jason Miller, who played Father Karis in the original Exorcist. And, and, and so that, that's kind of how they came up with the whole changing faces thing yeah. scene in the movies because they're you know we're obviously two actors playing that role right so that, that was kind of cool yeah i i think that wasn't that wasn't a bad idea yeah to do that yeah that did help tie it to the original film yeah which def- i thought was good i think it needed a little bit of a tie beyond like a character who was hardly seen in the movie and just like fleeting mentions of yeah. like regan's mom i think like very they fleeting. say that they like she yeah, provided a like, recording or something of yeah, the recording, and, like, Dyer had used to go to hang out with her at her dinner parties. Okay. And the only other thing I think we should touch on was just how this movie was very influential to some yes. very unsavory characters. Yeah. So, uh, one, perhaps you've heard of Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just him. There was, like, somebody else I saw who was, like, really influenced by this movie. But anyway, Dahmer used to watch this to sort of psych himself up. Before he... Before he commit murders. And then something that really chilled me, I think perhaps more than the movie itself, was <laughs> yeah. Andrew pulled up this YouTube video from Jeffrey Dahmer's trial where this... Was it an attorney? Or I don't know who it was. Somebody... Yeah, like some the, guy was like giving a testimony. I think like psychiatrist possibly. Probably. Yeah. Um, just sort of talking about Jeffrey Dahmer's state of mind and what was influencing him when he was deciding to do these acts of murder and all the ungodly things he did and so they were talking about how it was like really return of the jedi yeah return of the jedi and exorcist and exorcist 3 were like the two movies that he was like really focused on and there were some scenes in particular that he used to rewatch. so the psychiatrist or whoever he was um was talking about some of the similarities he noted between those scenes and like talking about psychologically what drew Dahmer to them and it was really the power that the characters exerted right it was like the emperor from return of the jedi and then and then obviously the gemini killer yeah this guy had realized that both of the characters had yellowy eyes that Dahmer was really fixated on and apparently Dahmer had bought these yellow contact lenses and he would go wear them out to the clubs when he was trying to find his victims. Oh, God. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, oh my God. Creepy as shit. And also, it must have been really unsettling because he talked about how Dahmer would bring the guys back and make them watch yeah. these same scenes. Yeah. That the psychiatrist guy had been watching with Jeffrey Dahmer when he was trying to get a better idea of what was going on inside his head. So, like, if I had heard that, that he'd shown this to his victims before he killed him, and then I was yep. sitting next to him watching these same scenes. I'd be like, eh, let me maybe get a little personal space here. So I guess that kind of sums up our thoughts on The Exorcist 3. So should we do a... 
seamless transition into talking about a different horror movie that we both like a whole lot, which is Ghostwatch. Ghostwatch is a pretty notorious TV special aired by the BBC in the early 90s on Halloween. They used all of these very well-known TV presenters and did this show, making it look like it was sort of a documentary, although it was actually scripted, but they didn't really announce it too broadly. Yeah, like they showed like a title card saying written by whatever at the very start of it. But if people were turning in halfway through it, they obviously would not have any idea that it was like a, a scripted. And some people probably just forgot, I bet. Especially if you're if you're used to seeing all these people doing legitimate. only doing like legitimate TV presenting roles and, and not like being in scripted television shows. Right. So they're like, oh, we've heard of this family, this mother and her two young daughters, and how their place is supposedly really haunted, and it's really creepy, and so we're just going to send some people down there tonight and just kind of see what happens. So you've got, like, this crew who's, like, in the television studio, and then you've got this crew who's, like, actually on site site at this house. And they do a really good job of messing with your mind because they incorporate this ghost character in in ways that you don't really notice consciously, but then, like, they go back. They show you the same scene and they make this ghost either more visible or less visible when they show it to you multiple times. In some cases, it's like very visible. In some cases, it's like you can't even tell. So, yeah, I don't we shouldn't go too much more into the specifics about it, but it's really, really good. It scared the shit out of a lot of British people when it aired. A lot like they could not show this again for years because people were so livid about this. Um, There was like a call in number that they were airing on the show and BBC didn't have people manning the lines enough to like they didn't anticipate the amount of people that would try and call in and like people would call the line and be busy and so all these people were thinking this was like a legitimate documentary and seeing all this creepy crap happen. I heard that they were playing some really low frequency sound or high frequency sound so that we wouldn't be able to hear but animals would try to freak out the animals also. They thought like oh if we can do this stuff with the frequency and it works out like, if people are watching this on TV and their animals start reacting to stuff that... They will poop themselves. They'll poop themselves, yeah. Like, they'll just, like, really buy into it. We've watched it several times, and I've never noticed anything with our cats. Yeah. So it might not have really worked out, but yeah. I just think it was really innovative the way that they tried to make that happen. Yeah, it really, in a lot of ways, it's, it's kind of... It was a, really thoughtfully done. Yeah, it definitely. It was super well thought out, so. It's definitely highly rated amongst the both of us. It's yeah. like easily probably in like my top five horror things, I would say. All right, so I guess we will uh, we'll wrap things up here. You can uh, subscribe to our podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts or through whatever podcasting app you have on your phone or whatever. And check out our Facebook page, Tara and Andrew vs. Scarecrow Video Movie Guide. We post links to the new episodes as they come out every Tuesday. And you can always send us any feedback you may have to Tara and Andrew Versus at gmail.com or visit our website, Tara and Andrew just to, to see a website. You know, just, you know, sometimes you just want to look at a website, right? Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. I would like to express our eternal gratitude to Bo for allowing us to use their excellent song lately off their album Setting the Paces. Thank you very much, Bo. Thanks, Bo. Trying to figure out. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you. Now I'm just super self-conscious about how I'm going to... Thanks, Boat. Yeah, that sounded kind of derisive. Like, kind of... (laughs) Thanks, Boat. No, thank you. We we appreciate it. All right. Certainly do appreciate it. Certainly. Certainly do. Certainly do. 
Um, yeah. All right. So I guess uh, until next time, catch you later, potato hags. Catch you later, potato hags.